I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all the judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, of those here who here will live. For as a father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've given us Jesus Christ, that you are a holy God, that you have a perfect expectation of righteousness from each one of us, that you expect us to be holy because you are holy. And yet we know that we failed you in this and that we were children of wrath. We thank You by Your grace that Your love for us was so great that You sent us Your Son. That God the Son became a man. He dwelt among us. He showed us what Your righteousness looks like. He showed us You. And in His supremeness, deity met humanity. It was walked out and showed and displayed among us. And then He took our place in humility, in love, in Your grace. Christ stepped in and died for us, bearing Your wrath so that we might become His righteousness. And so Father, we come before You today and we thank You for all that we have in Jesus Christ. As we continue in our worship by turning to Your Word and examining today the book of Hebrews, Father, it is our prayer that You would that You would continue to help us to grow, that Your Spirit would, would change us, would illuminate Your Word, would fill us as we walk in obedience to it, and that our lives would look more like Jesus each day as we are transformed into the image of Him. And so we come before You today, we acknowledge our worship, and we ask that You would be pleased with this time as we turn our attention to what You teach us in the Bible. Amen. Well, as we get started, the first thing, I, I would just like to say thank you to you as a congregation. Uh, last week, um, I told you we were starting the book of Hebrews, and I, um, 
I tried to, decided to do something a little different, and we read through the entire book of Hebrews in one service. 43 minutes, I practiced it a couple times, and then uh, we did that together. And I didn't make you stand up for the entire time like Ezra did, the people. Um, but as we, as we read through the book of Hebrews, I'll be honest with you, I, I, had, I had some reservations last week. I thought, do, do I, re- I want to go through the whole book of Hebrews in one service? We, 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 are, we devote ourselves to reading Scripture regularly, but... Um, I was wrestling with it, not, not because I don't believe that God's Word won't return void. The Bible, the, God promise us, promises us that God's Word will not return void, and, and He promises us that His Word is powerful, that His Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that His Word is, is profitable for us. But there's a flip side of a coin that I realized is that you know, we live in a culture where um, we need a commercial every 10 minutes to keep our attention, don't we? Uh, we live in this culture where if you don't shift something or grab everybody's attention with an, an illustration, uh, we t- our minds just tend to wander off. And so, so last week I, I challenged you with this, and, and I was curious as to what the response would be, but uh, in all honesty, I, I was, I was um, uh, a little reserved in, in making the decision, but I said, you know what, I think this would be good for us, and, and so I did. And I, and I just have to say, first of all, I was encouraged by your response by this exercise in discipline that each of you demonstrated. We, we went through the whole book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 13, and, uh, and you devoted yourself to paying attention to what God's Word said to you. And my prayer for you was that, that God would convict, that God would encourage, that God would exhort, and that He would comfort as you heard and as you responded to, to the Scripture. And uh, you gave your attention to what God says in the book of Hebrews. But I was also encouraged throughout the week, and it just, it's the delight of my heart this week. Several of you came up to me and just expressed um, how much you enjoyed reading through Hebrews together and how God used that in your life. And, and so it was encouraging to me just to see not only how you atten- gave your attention to what God's Word said, but, but you really embraced it. And, uh, and so I just appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that about you, and um, I just wanted to say so. As we, um, as we start today, we're going to do something a little bit different again than what you normally expect. We're going we're to do an introduction to the book of Hebrews. And by introduction, I, I don't mean just, hey, here it is, or, or here's the first couple verses, but, but an introduction typically when we talk about it in, in uh, by, by books of the Bible is we, we talk about how we got the book of Hebrews. Who wrote it? Where did he write it from? Uh, who did he write it to? When was it written? So some of these... Some of these details about the, the book itself can be a very important as we summarize the facts regarding this book of the Bible. Uh, in essence, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a flyover of, of the book of Hebrews. Do you have any, any sportsmen out here? You like going out in the woods, in the, the forest, maybe fishing, hunting. Um, you, know, you don't mind putting on the hiking shoes and, and hiking three to six miles in. You got a few? Okay, yeah, got a, got a few of them. And... Um, and as you do so, you probably just say, you know, I feel like going hiking today. And so, so you put on the boots, you get a coat maybe, you might even take your tent with you. You go to the edge of a forest that you've never seen before and you say, this looks like a good spot to go in. And you randomly walk into the middle of the forest, far away from civilization, and you get to the middle of it and half a day later you say, you know what, I think it's time to head back. And so I think I came from that direction, so I'm going to head back out and, and when you do, you get right to where you came from, right? Not how it works, Terry? Get a little bit easily lost, right? That's, that's not how you want to go hiking. You have to have some reference points. You need to know where you're going. You need to know the environment. It's important that, um, 
You might even have a map or a topographical map. You want to be familiar with the area and the context of where you're going because a lot of people get lost that way. They go out in the woods and then they never find their way out. And turns out they were just, you know, 100 feet from the nearest road. And so um, you might even take a helicopter ride. I don't know if you do that normally when you go fishing, but, uh, but today we're going to. And, and so you might to get in a helicopter and, and get above the forest. And as you get up there, you go, wow, you know, this, this, is, this is big. You know, there's this river that goes through it this way, and there's some intersecting streams, and over there's a mountain, and down there's a valley, and, and there's different parts of the forest. There's a lot of pine trees around the mountain, and aspen trees over there, and, and you can tell how there's some very dense foliage in this other section, and that might be difficult to get through. And, and you get this overview of what this entire forest looks like. And before you go in, you probably want to become familiar with what some of the animal life looks like. Are there mountain lions? Are there bears? You might want to be familiar with some of the plant life so that you don't come home with poison ivy. And so you're going to prepare yourself. You might even take a map with you as you go into this forest. And then afterwards, you go in, and then when you run into a certain area, you go, oh, I know where I'm at because I've seen this before. I saw it from up above. I saw it on my map. And you have that context for which you can walk through those individual parts. And in essence, that's what we want to do today with the book of Hebrews. We're going to take that helicopter ride above the forest, and we want to kind of see the whole and see the context of, of how we got Hebrews so that as we go into this book, and there, there are some challenging sections of it. As we go into this book, we, we want to be able to, when we get to Hebrews chapter 7 and we're dealing with uh, Melchizedek and some of these more difficult verses, uh, to be able to say, okay, here's where we're at. When we were up above, we saw that foliage. We saw that dense area. And, and now we're walking through it. And, and we know that there's there's a ravine on the other side that we're going to come out at. And so uh, we want to give us a little bit of um, room for knowing where we're, where we're going. Um, as we begin today, I'd like to just read Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, because this first four verses is, is basically the thesis statement of the entire book of Hebrews. As we look at the book of Hebrews, he's going to say, here's, here's the main idea, and then he's going to build the entire book around these four verses and what he conveys to us right here. And so before we start looking at who wrote this and when they wrote it and some of these other important facts and details about the context of this book, let's just look at, at the, the, the main premise of everything that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks. Again, verses 1-4 through four of chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the, God, the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. As we... Um, start looking at Hebrews and who wrote this and, 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 and when it was written, uh, some of the important parts of, of just understanding the context is going to help us later on as we come to some different passages. But probably one of the most debated discussions about the epistle is the question regarding who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. Anybody want to take any guesses? Are there any opinions out here? Get some interaction today. Who do you think wrote Hebrews? Some of you might even actually have an educated opinion on it. See Bruce laughing about laughing back there and talking to Carolyn. Do you guys have an idea? An, okay, an unknown. 
Is that your official position? That's a good one. <laughs> Who else? Any thoughts? Who do you think wrote the book of epistles? I think Paul did it. Okay. So we got a Paul. We have an unknown. What's that? Barnabas. Anybody else? They can be complete guesses. You don't even have to think it's right. You can say Abraham if you want to. You'd be wrong, but. Anybody else? Lee, what do you think? Good. Luke, Apollos, and Clement. You get some footnotes there, don't you? Oh, only God knows who wrote. Yep. You know, that's, uh, I'm going to say that here in just a minute. That's from Origen. There's a theologian that lived uh, several hundred years ago, and that's what he said. He says, you know, in truth, only God knows. Well, you know, it's one of the most debated discussions as people look at Hebrews, and it's an important topic. No matter what we believe, no matter what, we believe that Hebrews is inspired by God, and he is the divine author, the Holy Spirit. And so, um, there's this question of who, who is the human author that was moved along as the Holy Spirit inspired this man's words? He moved the, him along to pin these words that have been passed down to us today. And, and most of the books of the New Testament, in fact, I think um, all of them are pretty, pretty clearly identified that, who the author is. Second and third John, John doesn't identify himself. But, but there's um, at least some much clearer evidence. But Hebrews has raised a lot of questions. First of all, because no one takes credit um, for, for writing it. And, and that might be on purpose because the whole book is about Jesus being superior. And so maybe his whole point is it doesn't matter who's writing it, we're, we're talking about Jesus. Um, but over the past 2,000 years, several names have been suggested, and there's a few breadcrumbs that we can follow. Uh, one of the names that was mentioned was Paul. Uh, probably one of the earliest suggestions was that Hebrews was written by, by Paul the Apostle. And, uh, and the letter contains a few phrases that we commonly see Paul using. For example, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 25, uh, the very last verse of the book, says, grace be with you all. And, it, and it's said in a way that you know, so that sounds like something we would expect Paul to say. We see him saying something very similar to that in several of his other letters. Um, in addition to that, the author hints at time in prison. He mentions Timothy by name. So here's a person who knows Timothy personally. Um, he sends his greetings from the saints in Italy where we know that Paul was in chains at different times and he knew people from, from Rome. And at the end of the book of Acts, actually, we see Paul uh, in, in chains in, in Rome. And so there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that has led many to suggest that Hebrews was written by Paul, including one from among us. Good job. And um, they may be right. Uh, many scholars have noted, however, that, that the vocabulary of, of Hebrews, the writing style of Hebrews, is very different from Paul's other epistles. Now, now people can change the way they write some things, but, but stylistically, Hebrews just seems to be very different from the other writings of, of Paul. Uh, and the third century theologian that uh, Merv just quoted, uh, Origen, uh, said he doubted, he doubted Pauline authorship for this reason, but uh, he said, really, in essence, only, only God knows who wrote Hebrews. Uh, somewhere, I heard it explained like this when it comes to the writing style of the book. Um, when you study the grammar, the style, the vocabulary, the use of rhetoric, different uh, literary techniques, uh, each of the human authors leave their, their fingerprints on the text. 
And, and when you read the writings of John, they're, they're beautifully written and, and, and demonstrate um, you know, this, this amazing style that, that just has a way of connecting with us. Who hasn't read John 3.16 and just went, what a, what a beautiful statement of God's, God's love for us. And so there's these beautiful passages that were, contain some of the most beloved, beloved passages that we enjoy reading. But his style and his vocabulary demonstrates someone who probably had an, an, an education that, that probably went to about a grade school level. It doesn't mean that he's stupid. It doesn't mean that he dropped out and that's all. And he grew up and he was exposed to Jesus' teachings. But, but the style and the exposure to education it betrays that probably he, he had something of a, a grade school level education. Peter's a little bit more polished and he shows that he would uh, probably would have the equivalent of what we would say a high school diploma. If you look at Paul and Luke's writings, uh, they, uh, they've been had been exposed to probably what we would say a college or a master's level education. And, and the Holy Spirit uses all of these individuals, all of these men with different levels of training, different levels of vocabulary, different styles, different ways of thinking. And He uses their own unique word usage, their own background, even sometimes their own language. Uh, the Bible has three languages that it was originally written in. And, and all of these books are inspired. And every single one of them is worthy of your attention, of your time, and your obedience. And it shows us that, that God, God isn't so interested in the degrees that you've earned and the letters that you put behind your name. But, but He's concerned about your heart. And He takes people from all these different backgrounds. And, and the Bible itself is written by people that were poor shepherds that were out picking figs just to earn a living. All the way to people like Isaiah who lived as a member of the royal household and uh, the royal family and had uh, just a beautiful technique in the way that he wrote and showed a a high level of education. And God uses all of those. But what about Hebrews? You see, throughout church history, it's been noted that the book of Hebrews has this unique level of polished rhetoric. Um, Whoever wrote this letter was a very well-educated individual and he was a master at, at preaching. He was a master at rhetoric. If, if you were to equate the skill that we see in the original language that this person demonstrates, and, and we um, gave him a degree, a degree by our own standards here today, uh, Hebrews would be the guy who has the PhD. Paul, again, Paul and Luke write with this style that you would commonly see people writing in from a, a master's level or a bachelor's level. But when you look at Hebrews and, and the type of Greek and the way he does things, this is the guy who's writing with the style of somebody that has a, a PhD in rhetoric. And so, if it wasn't Paul, who wrote Hebrews? Uh, some have suggested Timothy. Uh, some have suggested Barnabas, noting that Acts chapter 4 tells us that Barnabas was a Levite. And so, uh, I think um, we had that suggestion back here that may have been, may have been Barnabas. Um, certainly, Barnabas would have been familiar with the Old Testament passages and with the priestly sections and the priestly service, uh, what the Bible says about the priesthood and Leviticus. And, and those things are detailed in, in Hebrews. Others have said Stephen, Silas, Philip, Jude, Epaphras. Lee mentioned a few of those. Uh, you mentioned one other one. Who was that, Lee? Who was the last one that you mentioned? You mentioned a third person. Clement. Yeah, Clement of Alexandria. Uh, so an early, early uh, pastor. Um, it's a lot of different suggestions. My personal opinion is, is that of many others, uh, which is that, the, that Hebrews may have been written by Apollos. 
And, and here's, here's why I favor that. Here's what Luke wrote about Apollos in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, he says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And so, so we would have, he would have been familiar with his Old Testament. He was Jewish. Uh, but he was also from one of the greatest cities, the greatest sites of education in the first century. Uh, the, the famous uh, Library of Alexandria was situated in a city with some of the finest training grounds that would taught people the art of, of speaking publicly, what we call rhetoric. And, and Apollos was a, a native of this city. Luke continues and he says, he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He has been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so you know, all of those items give the resume of someone like the person who wrote Hebrews. In fact, Hebrews sounds much like a sermon that could have been boldly preached in a synagogue, similar to what's described here in Acts 18. And then he finishes and he says in verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Well, guess what Hebrews is all about? It's showing us that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is supreme. That He is better than all the others. That He is superior to all these other ways. And so, personally, my vote's for Apollos. That doesn't mean that, that, that I'm right. When we get to heaven, we might find out, or maybe God will keep it a secret still. I don't know. But, but in the end, we, the, uh, Bruce and Carolyn were right. Uh, it's, it's unknown. We, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, although we have some ideas. Um, and, I, and I think the origin probably said it best. But who wrote the epistle? In, in truth, God knows. And so we'll leave it in God's hands. Uh, but with all those considerations, what is important for us to understand as we go into the book of Hebrews the important thing to understand about this author is that whoever he was, number one, he was an amazing preacher. Uh, he, he was phenomenal with the way he, he structured his words. And he preached not only a message that was meant to challenge the head, he preached a message that was intended to change the heart. Number two, whoever he was, he was an expert in the Old Testament. He, he knew his Bible. And he has much to teach us about handling the Scripture and working with the Scripture and, and, and both the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and, and understanding the Word of God so that we might apply it to areas of theology and areas of application. And thirdly, whoever he was, he was a devoted pastor. He, was, he wrote a message that demonstrates an incredible concern for the people that he was writing to. And because the Holy Spirit inspired this man when he wrote and then and the Holy Spirit preserved the text of this sermon, you and I have the opportunity to read, to read the same exhortation that he originally probably spoke in a public context and then wrote down in this epistle and sent to other churches. You and I have this incredible opportunity to receive that same encouragement, that same exhortation from these words that are written here. When we discuss an introduction to a book of the Bible, we usually ask, uh, also ask questions about the date of writing. Uh, and we do know that Timothy was probably on his way to Rome after Paul wrote 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul was uh, about to be beheaded. We, we know that he was at the end of his life. 
And Timothy was probably, probably got there before Paul died. And um, we don't know of any imprisonments of Timothy before that time. Doesn't mean that he wasn't, but um, since Hebrews doesn't mention Paul at all, uh, but it does mention Timothy being released, it seems likely that Hebrews was written uh, either by Paul uh, or after Paul's death. Um, and so uh, we also know that Clement of Rome, not Clement of Alexandria, which Lee mentioned, uh, Clement of Rome, he was one of the first pastors in, in Rome. And uh, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians in about 90, 96 um, AD. And, uh, and he quotes Hebrews. And so Hebrews couldn't have been written after, let's say, 95 AD. And, and it would make sense that if the temple had been destroyed, uh, the author probably would have used that detail as part of his argument uh, why Jesus is better than the Old Testament system. Uh, he at least probably would have mentioned it. And so, so likely, Hebrews was probably written before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And it's a safe guess that Hebrews was written probably, unless it was written by Paul, uh, probably sometime between 65 and, and 70 A.D. Um, and if it was written by Paul, probably just a little bit earlier than that. When Hebrews was written, uh, the, the, it, the date of the writing, it doesn't change too much of how we interpret a book. Sometimes uh, an, a book is really impacted by, by the context of what was going on right around it. Um, it doesn't impact Hebrews too much. Probably the biggest question is whether the temple in Jerusalem has been burned down or not. And that's important because Hebrews is going to talk a bit about the temple. He's going to talk about the different rooms and the different things that are inside that temple. And I imagine that the Hebrews, uh, just very soon after this letter is written, they would have been encouraged in this Jew as Jewish Christians shortly after the news reached them about the destruction of Jerusalem. And so the date's important, but it's not going to change a lot of how we interpret Hebrews. As I've already mentioned last week and today, Hebrews was probably a sermon and it was copied into the form of a letter. And so as we talk about the genre of Hebrews, um, it, it's a sermon. And, but then as you read Hebrews, he, he talks about, I, I write this to you. And so it's obviously a letter that's being written as well. So it's kind of a mix of two different genres. Likely Hebrews was a sermon that he preached to a Jewish audience. And then he put these words on paper and he sent them to a particular uh, Jewish audience as well. And so it's a bit of a mix between a letter, epistle, and a sermon, which makes it perfect to read as a group and also for you to study it as an individual. And the reason this is important as we go through Hebrews is that the author is going to masterfully move in and out and between giving instruction and giving application. And much like in a sermon, he's going he's to give points that he wants you to understand about the, the text of old, the Old Testament. But then he's going to move into these sections where he says, here's, here's how you apply this in your life. If this is true, then this has to impact you here. And so he's, like we mentioned, a, 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 masterful, uh, a master at rhetoric. And he's going to take Old Testament passages. And he's going to expound on them. And then he's going to move to the heart issues. And he's going to show how those Old Testament passages, they should change our mind. It should change our hearts and it should change our, our choices. Some of you may already be familiar with what we call the warning passages in, in Hebrews. Five times the author of Hebrews is going to move from instruction to a very stern warning in which he, 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 he confronts the people that he's writing to. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews does what a lot of preachers do. He moves from teaching and then he drives the point home with some very pointed application. 
And, and he often gives us promises to hold on to throughout the book. But five times, Hebrews is going to move into this warning for his readers. And, and he's going to warn the different groups among the people that are reading Hebrews. And we'll see that in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 6, and then Hebrews chapter 10 and 12. So all those even passages except for chapter 8. Um, another important question um, is the audience. Uh, who was Hebrews written to? And the only location that's mentioned in the book of, of Hebrews is, is Italy, there in chapter 13, where it's evident that the author is in the presence of some Italians, uh, and he's sending greetings probably back to those who were in Italy. Um, the other alternative is he's in Italy saying, the Italians greet you. Uh, and so it's very possible that Hebrews, though, is, is being sent to an audience that may have been in Rome itself. And, and that would explain why the, the first time that Hebrews is quoted uh, is literally um, the, the, in literature outside of the Bible. The first time that Hebrews is quoted is in the first letter of Clement, who was the pastor of Rome. And so most scholars today argue that, that Rome was the audience that, that Hebrews is being written to. But more importantly, and this is going to be very important for our discussion throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, the audience was also largely Jewish. Uh, the Hebrews... The Hebrew Scripture is used heavily. The author addresses issues about the temple, about the Old Testament law, about matters that would have been very important for a Jewish audience. And for this reason, the book of, this book of the Bible was very, uh, very early on, it was given the title Hebrews. And there were probably believing Gentiles that were associated with this group. There were probably people in the church that were Jews that were convinced that Jesus was, was um, who the Bible says he is, but they hadn't trusted him yet. They hadn't become believers at this point. And there were probably Jewish people in the audience that uh, hadn't been convinced about Jesus yet. And so there's a mixed group, uh, and thus the warning passages are going to have a little bit different feel as we go through those. But there are probably Jews, Gentiles, believers, unbelievers associated with the audience of this book. And that first copy of Hebrews was probably sent to a church, perhaps in Rome, that, that had Jewish believers, though, that were closely associated with a synagogue in their area. And furthermore, it seems from the way that Hebrews addresses its audience that these were, were Christians who had become followers of Jesus Christ and they had been following Jesus for some time. Uh, you might remember that later on he's going to say, I, I, I'm writing these things to you and you've been Christians long enough that you should be teachers now, but you're not. And I have to give you milk and you can't even eat solid meat. And so the way he talks to this group, it's evident that, that they've been in the church now for some length of time. Uh, long enough that he's able to commend them for their generosity to other churches and to other people around the world. And so this isn't a new church that he's writing to. But it was a group of followers of Jesus who were experiencing persecution at some level. Uh, some of them had lost their homes. Uh, for some reason, people had come in and because they were believers in Jesus Christ, they came in and they confiscated their, their land, the, the homes that they lived in. Some of them had endured mistreatment. Some of them had been imprisoned. He, he notes that some of them uh, suffered the, the pain of, of walking beside those who were going through those things. And so, whether they were personally dealing with this mistreatment or uh, dealing with it as, as friends of those who were going through this, uh, this is a church that was suffering persecution to some level. And, and certainly they were facing opposition from other Jews who had rejected Jesus 
And, and there's this temptation, and, and this is really the, the heart of why Hebrews is being written to this group. There's this temptation among the, the community that Hebrews is being written to, to, to walk away. To say, okay, I've experienced Jesus for a while and this whole Christianity thing, but maybe it's better if I go back. Maybe it's better if I go back to offering sacrifices at the temple. Maybe it's better if I just leave this whole church thing and return to this system of works righteousness that was being taught in the first century Judaism. And that's where the message of Hebrews comes in. Mixed with its teachings from the Old Testament, with its promises, with its stern warnings, Hebrews is a book demonstrating that Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Paul's epistles are, are, are very logical arguments. Uh, when, you, when you read through and outline the book of Paul, there's a lot of therefores. There's a lot of because ofs. Uh, Pauline epistles are great for Roman numeral 1, Roman numeral 2, Roman numeral 3, A, B, C. Um, Paul thought a lot like we do here in the Western world. We, we like our outlines. We like three points. Um, Paul, Paul does a lot of those things in his writings. He surprises us oftentimes, but, but he has a lot of logical approach to things. However, the book of Hebrews, even if it's Paul, the book of Hebrews is a bit more like the spokes of a wheel with one central dominating truth that, that dominates the center. Jesus is superior. Consider Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast because of Jesus. We, um, we, we enter by the blood of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Those are all phrases that I, I lifted out of the book of Hebrews. And there's this, this central theme that Jesus is superior. He is superior to any other system that is tempting you to walk away. And so with that hub cycling throughout the entire book of Hebrews, let's look at the different spokes. The different spokes of the wheel. Uh, chapters 1 and 2. He's going to talk about how Jesus is superior to the angels. In chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see how he, he specifically zone, zones in on, on Moses and shows how Jesus is superior to Moses. And he comes back to that hub. Jesus is superior. And, and then he's going to go off on a different, different spoke. And he's going to say how Jesus is, is a superior priest. He's superior high priest in chapters 4 through 10. And, and throughout that whole section, he's going to talk about Aaron and, and the Levites and, and those different spokes are going to come back to Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. He's going to talk about the old covenant and how, show how Jesus is brought in as superior covenant in chapter 9 and 10 he's going to show how jesus brought us a better sacrifice that was once for all whereas in the old testament they always had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again and the high priest had to go into the holy of holies once a year to make a atonement for the people jesus sacrifice was better and so so we have this hub that shows us that jesus is superior and, and throughout the book he's going to he's going to spin off and he's going to go over in this area and talk about how jesus is better than angels he's going to come back to the hub and then he's going to go off on a different spoke and show how jesus is better and superior to moses and come back to that hub that jesus is superior and better than aaron and better than joshua and better and so more supreme sacrifice and he's going to go off in these different directions and then finally in chapters 10 through 13 he's going to he's going to conclude with a lot of application so there's going to be a lot of exhortations in those last four chapters ultimately hebrews is a message to a people who have tasted the truth they've experienced in one way or another how excellent is the one that we call jesus 
And some among them were being tempted to walk away. Uh, Some of these were true believers, true followers of Jesus, and and they would persevere. And Hebrews was the encouragement that they needed. It it was the encouragement they needed to stick in there and and, and to keep on pressing on. Uh, Some of those who were hearing um, the, the book of Hebrews had heard the Gospel, but they had denied its power because they were only imitating a form of godliness and they had not truly drawn near through faith in Jesus. And there was this temptation to walk away from it all. And probably there were some who still hadn't been convinced that, that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd heard the Gospel, but they hadn't responded to it and weren't convinced in their minds or in their hearts. Now, you may be asking, if Hebrews was a message that was written to a group of predominantly Jewish Christians, then why are we studying it? Uh, we, we are predominantly Gentiles. And my answer for you is twofold. Number one, Hebrews is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And because this book is Scripture, it's profitable. Now, a lot of us like to avoid Hebrews. We, we say, ah, oh, Hebrews is really hard to understand. There's a lot of complex. You know, he talks about this Melchizedek guy, and for that reason alone, people stay out of Hebrews. I, I don't even want to try pronouncing it, so I'm not going to even try reading Hebrews. And so a lot of times we avoid Hebrews, or a lot of Christians do, because they think, oh, this is going to be too tough for me. And, and I want you to understand that Hebrews is part of Scripture, and because of that, Scripture declares that Hebrews is profitable. You guys understand the word profitable? Timothy uses it. Second Timothy uses it. Profitable. It's, it's worthy of investment. Um, do, you, do you buy stock or trade in something that has no profit? Do you buy a new car and, and go, yeah, this piece, thing is a piece of junk. Uh, it's rusting. Transmission's falling out. Not profitable, but I'm going to spend $10,000 on it, right? It's not profitable. So I, but Scripture declares to us that, that the Bible, the books of the Bible are profitable. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. Hebrews is profitable for you, for training you in righteousness. Hebrews is sharper than any two-edged sword and and wielded by the Holy Spirit who comforts and exhorts and convicts. It's going to go places that no surgeon can go. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit will use Hebrews as a scalpel to do surgery on our souls. Hebrews is part of God's Word, and for that reason alone, it's worthy of our attention, and it's worthy of our study, and it's worthy of our obedience. But secondly, Hebrews is a message for those who are being tempted to walk away from Jesus for something else that claims to be better. For the audience of Hebrews, the original audience, that something else was Judaism. It was Old Testament, first century Judaism. The system of, of earning my way to salvation. Of doing things and making sacrifices at the temple. And following the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this whole system that had been distorted from the Old Testament times. And was, had created a, really an, a, an entirely different form of religion that, that God hadn't intended in the Old Testament. And so this original audience was facing this temptation to walk away from Jesus for this, old, this, this system of works righteousness. Old, first century Judaism. And that something was large, largely about rituals, about holy days, 
a system of sacrifices and a priesthood in Jerusalem. But for each one of us here, uh, that something is presented to you in different forms. Perhaps you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus. And there's something that's saying, nah, that's, that's not for me. Leave, leave Jesus to those other people and, and let them worship and do the religious thing. But, but not for me. I'm going to go to something else that seems to be so much greater that's going to satisfy my soul's cravings. And you're being tempted towards that. Hebrews is for you. And it will show you the ways that Jesus is far superior to the sin that presents itself as so appealing. But Hebrews is also for the believer who's tempted to make compromises in their daily, their daily walk with Jesus. There, there are many somethings that, that approach us and say, hey, over here, over here, look. Remember me? Before you became a Christian, this was so fun. You really enjoyed this and this is so satisfying to you. Or, or maybe it comes up, hey, over, over here, over here. This is something good. This is something godly. God commends this in the Scripture. And remember how you used to give all your time to me before you really devoted yourself to reading the Bible and following Jesus and your whole life revolved around Him? Your life revolved around me. You need to come over here. And there are a lot of good things that sometimes we can say, ah, that, that, that's not wrong in and of itself, but, but when that becomes your everything, good things like your job, your family, godly biblical sex, Video games, fun, hobbies, cars, sports. A lot of great things. But if they become your everything, that something distracts you from Jesus. And Hebrews is for you because there are so many somethings which call out to you in a practical, everyday level and you're tempted to follow that something else just for today because it feels satisfying. And so our worship becomes divided. Hebrews is for all of us. Okay, so let's land the helicopter. We've done our quick flyover of the forest and we have a brief introduction to what we're going to be walking into. We're going to come across some dense foliage that will make hiking through Hebrews more challenging to understand at times. But with a little bit of context and a bird's eye view, we should know that there's a smooth path just on the other side of that ravine that we're going to go through. We're going to put our topographical map away and we're going to start walking past the edge of the forest today. So open up to Hebrews chapter 1 and let's just read those first four verses together again. I'm not going to spend much time here because we, we did study these verses just last month when we were looking through several New Testament Christmas passages. But these first four verses are worthy of us spending some extra time here today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4 through four is actually it's one sentence in the original language. One, one sentence. Uh, most of our English translations divide it up into two to four sentences because, well, English grammar is just eh, not as good as the Greek. Um, it's good, but, but we need more sentences. When Apollos or Barnabas or Paul or whoever wrote this thesis, uh, they wrote it in one carefully worded statement about the superiority of Jesus. It, it's a beautiful example of the human author's great rhetorical skill, and you combine that with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the divine author, moving that man along as he wrote, and we have four verses of exquisite splendor. The French theologian, uh, Cécile Speak, 
he, uh, he once wrote that Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4, is the most beautiful sentence in the entire New Testament. So if you're going to memorize something this week, do Hebrews chapter 1, 1-4. through 4. Read it with me. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in, by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. As we unpacked this a few weeks ago, the statement here, it's magnificent. It's an incredible thought that God speaks. God speaks. Why do you speak? Why do you speak? Why do you talk to your spouse? You want to communicate something's going on up here, right? Something's going on in your brain. You're having some thought about something. And so you speak in order to communicate truth or thoughts or ideas from one person to another. And speaking communicates an idea, a thought. And the God of the universe desires to communicate His ideas and thoughts to mankind. So do you want to hear the message of God? Is it your desire to know what God says about things? Then rejoice because you live during a time in history when you have access to God's written Word and to more copies of God's written Word than at any other time in all of human history. And you live in a nation where you have more freedom and time and free time to pursue God's written Word than probably any other nation in the world today. The privilege that you have is phenomenal. The privilege that I have is phenomenal. And then I go spend three hours watching videos on TikTok or Facebook. We're blowing it. We have so much privilege. And then we walk away from it. We have an incredible privilege. So rejoice, because long ago, God spoke. He used prophets to speak to the words to our forefathers. But in these last days, Hebrews tells us, God has done something even more glorious. God, the Son Himself, stepped into our world and He took on flesh. He camped with us. He walked with us. He didn't just communicate His ideas through messengers that He sent out. He has now given to us the ultimate form of divine revelation. Jesus Himself reveals the Father. If you want to know who God is, then know who Jesus is. We'll see in chapter 2 that those who heard Him, those who were eyewitnesses to His work, to His miracles, to the things that Jesus did, they wrote these things down carefully so that you and I, 2,000 years later, that we can also know Jesus Christ. And through knowing Him, we can know God the Father. We saw in December when we looked at this passage how Jesus is the heir. Jesus is the Creator. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Himself is the radiance of the glory of God. Everything that that we look at God and go, wow! Glory. Something that shines. Something that's uh, brilliant. Everything that we look about God and say, wow! Jesus is that. Jesus is the full wow of God. Of that glory. The full radiance of God. 
of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. It's a claim that no prophet could have ever made. But Jesus is the supreme form of God's communication of His ideas to man because Jesus is God Himself and He contains all of His glory. Now, not only has God spoken to us in His Son, but verse 3 of Hebrews declares to us that Jesus made purification for sins. This is our first introduction in Hebrews to Jesus' priestly role that He's going to later develop in later chapters. And He's going to unpack that. But already we can see that when Jesus made His sacrifice on our behalf, He did something that the priests in the Old Testament couldn't do. He sat down. They were constantly standing before the presence of God. Standing, doing their work, day after day, offering sacrifices. Year after year, year, coming into the Holy of Holies and offering a sacrifice of atonement. But Jesus completed His work and He sat down. Once for all, His work is complete and today He sits next to God the Father. Jesus is superior to the priests and he's superior to the sacrificial system of the old testament and jesus is far superior to the angels that uh, have not inherited a name like his which is more excellent than theirs and so that leads us into the forest next week we're going to move further into the trees we're going to take a look at hebrews chapter one together but in closing i'd like to make a challenge to you you ready Many people read Hebrews and they get a little bit lost once they get out into the thick of it. And again, granted, there are some challenging passages in this book. But I want to encourage you and to remind you that God intends for you to be blessed by the message of Hebrews. So, so don't make the excuses of this is too hard for me. Don't make the excuses that Hebrews is just, he, he was, he's a PhD dude, and so I can't understand anything he says. Don't, don't go there. God intends for you to be blessed by the book of Hebrews. You may not understand all the intricacies of it, but there is material here for you that God wants to change your life and to show you how Jesus is superior. It is God's word for you today. And I, I want to ask you to start thinking about what things in your life. You don't have to answer this question today, although you probably have a little bit of an idea. There's a gut instinct there or conviction or the Holy Spirit prodding you going, yeah, we're going to work on this. I I want you to start thinking, though, about what things in your life are competing for Jesus' place in your heart and for Jesus' place in your mind. And there may be things over here where you, you go, yeah, I used to follow that before I followed Jesus, and that's wrong but it pulls and, 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 and I crave it. Or they may be some of those things over here that are, are, are good and sometimes even godly things, but they've become the focus of your life and you're, you're devoting your attention and your time and all of your energy to it. And whether, whether it's sinful or, or just something that's taking Jesus' place as first place in your life, I'd like to ask you to start identifying what those things are that are competing for Jesus' place in your heart and in your mind. And as we apply this sermon epistle that we call Hebrews, you probably aren't tempted to go looking for a temple where you're going to offer up sacrifices tomorrow. I I get that. And and you probably aren't being threatened by a Jewish community who's pressuring you to go back into an Old Testament 
form of Judaism that's been distorted. But God knows our hearts and He knows that we're prone to wander. The Bible teaches us that we are created to worship. You were created to worship. And see, worship is perhaps our primary function as human beings. We, we, we're built for it. We're built to worship. But, but you, if you are not worshiping Jesus, then I guarantee you that you have found something else already that will fill that void. You, you are worshiping something today. You worship something. You will continue to worship something because worshiping is what we do. And what that worship looks like, it, it takes different forms. It looks different. But it's what you do. And we ascribe worth to something and then we devote ourselves to it by the way that we spend ourselves. We give our time and we give our attention and we give our energy and our money and everything that we have to that thing that we worship. And if it's not Jesus, it is something else. So start identifying that something that competes for your love for Jesus. And then pray that God would help you to believe the message of Hebrews. And then consider Jesus. Hold fast because of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you today and I acknowledge that Jesus is superior, is greater, is more important, more worthy of our worship than anything else. Father, it's my prayer that as we start diving into the book of Hebrews and we look at at these different chapters one by one, that, that Lord, that you would, that you would, your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and help us to understand the truths that are written here. And not only that you would illuminate our minds so that we would understand your word, but I pray that you would illuminate our lives and show us where there are things that are, there's sin, things that we're worshiping that aren't Jesus. And I pray that from this book we would, fall in love with Jesus and that we would come out determined to follow Him, determined to worship Him, determined to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. We love You. We adore You. We ask that You would teach us this day and help us to put these things into practice as we worship You. Amen.